One of my long-term goals as a pastor and as a teacher is to kind of teach my way through the scripture and provide some resources so that other people can understand the Bible. And that's especially true in places where the Bible can be a little bit uh, difficult to understand. And that's one of the things that brings us to this series that we're beginning tonight. Uh, this series is from a section of scripture that is usually referred to as the wisdom books. And this particular series will be the final piece in a trio, a trilogy of, of series on the books written by Solomon, King Solomon. In 2021, we studied a book written when he was young and in love. It's called Song of Solomon, and that series was called Here Comes the Bride. And in 2022, just last year, we studied a book written when Solomon was midlife and at his peak. And uh, that series was on the book of Proverbs and called Life Hacks. And so now at the beginning of 2023, we're going to study a book written when he was old and disillusioned. And hopefully that's not anybody here. The book's called Ecclesiastes. And so we're calling this series The Pessimist's Guide to the Universe. And that's an unusual title to be sure, especially to start off a new year. What a horrible title. Uh, but then Ecclesiastes is quite an unusual book. And just what is a pessimist anyway? The dictionary says a pessimist is a person who emphasizes the negative side of a situation or a person who habitually anticipates the worst or a person who believes that the world naturally bends toward evil and pain or even just a person who tends to be gloomy. If you know somebody like that, please don't point at them. Definitely don't poke them. They'll bite you. Now, you've heard the expressions and you've seen the memes. An optimist sees the glass as half full, while the pessimist sees the glass as half empty. But most pessimists would actually say, well, I'm just a realist. Life often does hand us the negative or the worst the world is filled with evil and pain. Just read the news or look around. And there truly is cause to be gloomy sometimes. So I'm just a realist, not a pessimist. They're just like Solomon. Now with all that he had going for him, you would think that Solomon would have very little reason to be a pessimist. After all, he was the son of King David. He was the third king of Israel and he was the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived. He was a builder extraordinaire. He was the chief architectural and engineering genius behind hundreds of construction projects throughout the nation. He even built a grand palace and a glorious temple to the Lord. And during Solomon's reign, the entire nation of Israel lived in peace and prosperity. He had it good. People from foreign lands traveled great distances just to hear his wisdom and see his wealth for themselves. So literally, King Solomon presided over what we would call the golden age of Israel. But here's the problem. Solomon had far too many perks and far too many privileges for his own good. And he used those perks and privileges to experiment with the things of the world. Even the blessings God had given him turned out to be a curse to him. I cannot tell you in 40 years of ministry how often I've seen that happen, that God would bless someone and it became a curse to them because they put it ahead of God. A business, a relationship, a, a job advancement, a career move. Uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable what people will trade for their relationship with God. And the blessing becomes a curse. Unfortunately, Solomon had just enough wealth to afford anything he desired. And he had just enough wisdom to figure out how to experience anything that he wanted. And that is exactly what got him in trouble and exactly what led to his failure. As his influence grew and grew, he would eventually marry many wives. 
He was trying to establish peaceful, profitable political relationships with their countries. But when he married all those pagan wives, he became entangled with the gods of those pagan women and he violated the law of the Lord and that turned his heart away from the God of his father, David. It is a tragic tale that is all too common. And so now Solomon is old and yes, he is disillusioned by life itself. He has done this to himself, but it has affected him drastically. He has bought everything he desired. He has tried anything he wanted. He's always been looking for something to satisfy. But you listen, he has ended up with nothing that would fill his heart. He is empty. He has no purpose, only pleasure. He has no peace, only worry. He has no riches, only money. They're not the same thing. He has no friends, only followers. He has no satisfaction, only accomplishments. He has no joy, only sorrow. He has no love, only longing. He has no fulfillment, only frustration. And he has no God, only religion. He is empty because his life is very busy but it is no longer blessed. I don't know if that sounds at all familiar to you. Most suicide notes throb and pulse with the questions that Solomon asks in this depressing book called Ecclesiastes. It surprises people when they're reading their Bible and this book says things that you would never expect the Bible to say even though it's not always easy to follow and it can be a little difficult to interpret in a few places, Ecclesiastes resonates with human beings because it's the story of a man who spent so much of his time and energy and resources trying to find happiness, but he ended up feeling like he had missed the most important things in his life when he looked back. That's not a place where anybody wants to end up. That's not a place where you would want a family member or yourself or a friend or a fellow church member to end up looking back the long road of life and having terrible, tragic regrets. Solomon calls himself the preacher as he opens this book. And this sermon, brothers and sisters, it may have an odd title and the book may have an odd feel, but this sermon is a very important one to hear. So Solomon doesn't waste any time. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. How many ever heard that verse before? How many ever quoted it with a smile, you know? Vanity of vanities, but he is deadly serious. Solomon uses a Hebrew word, hevel, hevel. That's vanity, hevel. It's just all hevel. Everything is hevel. He uses it 38 times in just 12 chapters. Our English word vanity, that is the translation, it refers to a lack of real value or hollowness or worthlessness. Many modern translations of scripture, you may have one in your hand tonight, many modern translations, uh, they, they will interpret hevel as meaningless. But when they say meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, they actually lose an important piece of the Hebrew metaphor that is here. Because hevel means literally vapor or fog or smoke. Solomon is not saying that life has no meaning. He's saying something worse than that. He's saying that the meaning of life is never quite clear. In other words, just like smoke, just like fog, just like vapor, here's how life is. You don't have to amen. You can just look amen. Sometimes life, like smoke, is undefinable. 
It's filled with nebulous, confusing, mysterious patterns and you're trying to figure out why this is happening or why that is happening or what you should do next. It's heavily, it's, it's like smoke. Sometimes life isn't only undefinable, it's unreliable. It's like smoke. You reach for it, you try to grab it, but it just slips through your fingers and you have nothing solid to hold on to and you're left confused, maybe depressed. Maybe your faith is shaken. Life isn't only undefinable and unreliable, it is unpredictable. It's like smoke, it's like fog, it's like a cloud. It takes one shape and you just start to look at that shape and then it changes swiftly and before you know it, it's another shape entirely. Do you understand how life can change with one text, one phone call, one person tapping you on the shoulder and saying, could you step out of church for a moment? I need to share some news from home. Your life can change dramatically in seconds. It's vapor, it's vanity, it's hevel, it's smoke. Life is uncertain. It's like smoke. Sometimes... It just all seems to just blow away for no reason at all. You thought it was going to last longer. You thought it was going to be happier. You thought it was going to be uh, more fulfilling. You thought the season that you were in, that everything was good, but all of a sudden just, it's gone. It's heavily, it's, it's smoke. Your life is like fog. It's, 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 if you're in the middle of it, it's impossible to see clearly. I know I'm preaching to some people that you've been in seasons of your spiritual life, your walk with God, when you felt like you couldn't hardly see your hand in front of your face and you're trying to trust God and you're trying to hang in there and you're trying to be faithful, but you just don't know where to go next. It's impossible to see clearly. And that's what Solomon is talking about. Life sometimes is just hevel. It's, it's smoke, it's cloud, it's fog, it's vapor, it's vanity. Life is sometimes like chasing the wind. You try so hard. You work so hard. You strive so long. You do so good. But it's like chasing the wind. You never seem to quite catch up with it. And there's always something more you need to do. There's always something more that you should be. There's always some level you never seem to achieve. And if you're not careful, that spirit that got a hold of Solomon, it can make you have so many regrets that you lose your ability to rejoice. I don't ever want to lose my ability to rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul said, and again I say rejoice. Solomon just said, hevel. Smoke, fog, vapor, cloud, vanity. All of life is heaven. Solomon, that's depressing. Yeah, it is. He's not doing well. He's old. He's seen a lot of life. And he's looking back down the road of his life. And he's seeing a lot of regrets. And a lot of places he wishes that he had done better. And he wishes that he had been better. And he wishes that God had had kind of delivered him sooner or it's just a tragedy to look back and feel that way. Here's what Solomon says. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? What profit is it really that you work so hard and you do so well and you provide uh, with such distinction? What profit is it really? One generation passeth away and another generation cometh but the earth abideth forever. You see, the preacher immediately, he doesn't waste time. He jumps into this book and he just begins deconstructing all the ways that we try to find purpose apart from God. There are wonderful things in our world, but if you try to find purpose without God in the picture, you will always have an aching emptiness in the core of your being just like Solomon did. We spend a lifetime, brothers and sisters, investing so much time and resources, so much energy and emotion in things that ultimately don't last. And that's what he says here. But the earth abideth forever. A hundred years from now, got some bad news for you. Nobody is going to remember what any of us did. But the earth will still be here. The earth abides forever. A hundred years from now, the sun will still rise and set. 
He says that in verse five, the winds are still gonna blow. Verse six, the rivers are still gonna run. Verse seven, the earth is gonna last forever. If you ever get feeling puffed up and proud, you need to go out and take a look at a mountain or a beautiful river or a beautiful forest and you'll feel a little bit small when you really look at the magnificence of God's creation. And then, when you consider your limited time on earth, the earth is going to last a long time, but you're not. And if you really think like Solomon did about your limited time here on earth, it makes you feel not only small, it makes you feel sad. So Solomon uses this phrase, under the sun. He uses it 29 times in 12 chapters, under the sun. And what he's reminding us of is two things. We're small because the sun just keeps going and the earth just keeps going and the rivers and the mountains, they just keep going. But we're small. We're just down here under the sun. And he also uses it to remind us when we're under the sun, we're really just marking time. And then someday before we know it, we'll turn around and life is over. It's depressing, isn't it? Verse 8, he said, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. Life just makes you weary sometimes, Solomon says, because it seems like, I'm going to preach to somebody here, seems like all you ever do is work, 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 work. Get up and go to work. Next week there's more work. Your boss never seems to be satisfied and there's always more to do and you got issues with co-workers and it's just work, work, work and it's hard to describe how you feel, Solomon says. Man cannot utter. It's hard to even put into words sometimes how empty that feels and how meaningless that feels. There's always something else, something more, something bigger, something newer, something better that the eyes see or the ears hear about and you've just got to have it. So you got to do some overtime and you got to work a little harder and save a little longer and spend a little more. He said, the eyes never satisfied with seeing and the ears never filled with hearing. There'll always be something newer, a new model. There'll always be an update. It's Dave Ramsey that said, I love this quote, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. That's a great quote, especially just after Christmas. You know what Solomon would say to that? He'd say, hevel, smoke, vapor. It vanishes so quickly, it's gone, it's over. And then you think he's bad right now, he's gonna get worse. He says, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? No, it's already been of old time which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance in the future of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Now let me untangle that King James tongue twister. We often say it, there's nothing new under the sun. Yes, we have new technologies and we have new conveniences, but please think about this. They are really just more of the same. Planes travel further and faster than cars which travel further and faster than horses, which travel further and faster than your feet. It's just more of the same. But if you have nowhere that you really want to go, what's the point? Yes, texting is quicker than calling which is quicker than email, which is quicker than writing a letter, which is quicker than scheduling a meeting or paying a visit. But if you have no one that you want to talk to, who really cares if it's easier to reach them than it was before? We've totally forgotten the things that were really important conveniences to our great-grandparents. We don't even remember. And someday, somebody's going to be sitting in a Bible study in a midweek, and they're going to be listening to some preacher 
and he's going to say, you know, all those people back in the 21st century, if the Lord tarries, all of our technologies and conveniences will someday be obsolete. I don't think I'm that old, but I remember when both sets of grandparents got indoor plumbing. And some of you remember that too. And some of you, it wasn't their, your grandparents. I remember that. I'm really grateful that when we have service, we don't have to plow a path. <laughs> Never mind. Or build a fire. I've been in churches, some of you have too, where they have a little wood furnace heater right in the center of the congregation. It saved a lot of complaining because you just sat as close as you wanted to the heat source. There's no arguing over the thermostat. You know, I wish they'd turn that up. I wish they'd turn that down. Carol Magruder had the greatest solution to that. He put a dummy thermostat on the back wall of his church. It wasn't connected to anything. And he just put a little announcement in the bulletin in Kennett, Missouri. If you're uncomfortable with the temperature, please just go back by the back wall and adjust the thermostat to your liking. He, he was brilliant. Some of you, that's all you're going to remember from Bible study today. Solomon said, that which is done is the same thing that's going to be. And just the same as we don't remember those things, the people in the future won't remember us. It's vanity. It's hevel. It's, it's smoke. It disappears before you even hardly turn around. And that's just kind of his introduction. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen, this is Solomon talking, the wealthiest and wisest man who ever lived. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, here's my conclusion. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. This is Solomon's resume. He was such a wealthy and wise king that he got to experience almost anything that he could imagine. He gave his heart to that search for meaning and significance. But in the end, it was just more striving. It was vexation of spirit. It was hevel. It was smoke. It was vapor. And he came to some pretty depressing, even aggravating conclusions. But if you think about him for a moment, you'll realize that, you know what? He was right. He's got a point. He says, that which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Maybe you've said it. Maybe you've thought it. What is wrong in my life, pastor, can't be made right. What is broken can't be fixed. What is wounded can't be healed. If you haven't said it, you've thought it. I've made too many mistakes. I've been hurt too many times. And don't even get me started on all my disappointments. I couldn't even count all the things that are lacking in my life. That which is crooked can't be made straight. I can't fix that mistake that I made. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. It's an endless, empty, aching void. And I feel like it's never going to be filled. And I'm never going to be happy. And I'm never going to have joy and peace in that area of my life. Don't even get me started on all my disappointments. I can't even count all the things that I'm missing. It's an endless list. That's what Solomon said. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate. I have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom. And I gave my heart to know madness and folly. And at the end of the day, I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. My goodness, there's a lot packed in there. Solomon said, I've achieved a lot in my lifetime. He's not bragging. He's just giving us the details. 
Solomon says, everybody who knows me would declare me a success. I'm famous. People seek me out. People travel hundreds of miles just to watch how I operate. I have worked harder and smarter. I've put in the time and I've paid my dues. I am a success. And it worked, at least on the outside. But Solomon admits on the inside, my heart always wanted more. No wonder he wrote in Proverbs, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. One of the modern translations says, guard your heart because it affects everything you do. You can have an image of success. You can have an image of joy. You can have an image of religion. But your heart affects everything you do. Solomon said, my heart always wanted something else, something more, something different than what I had. So I kept on searching. But here's the problem. The things that I tried were not always good. Oh, some of them were okay. But he says here, some of them were madness and some of them were foolishness. And foolishness is a lot more serious word in the Bible than it is today in the English language. Solomon said, I've learned a lot in my lifetime. But I got to tell you, not all the lessons were pleasant. I didn't distinguish myself very well sometimes. I didn't get a good grade on some of the classes that I've been through in my life. Sometimes success at work becomes failure at home, brothers and sisters. Sometimes you can impress strangers while you ignore loved ones. Sometimes your experience robs you of your innocence. Solomon says it right here. He that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Sometimes the more you know, the more you hurt. Sometimes. I I need to pause there for just a second because that's such a serious thing to me. You know, in ministry, it's a wonderful uh, calling and privilege and honor to be in ministry. It, it really is. I have no hard luck story to tell. I have no uh, complaints. I, I, I'm good. But I know that verse for a fact. He that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Sometimes your experience robs you of your innocence. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes one of the biggest struggles in working with problems and issues and conflicts all around the world, a lot of my responsibilities now are beyond the, this building and this local church and sometimes trying to work through conflicts with people in different places around the world and ministers and leaders. And you, sometimes it's just, Jesus, what is wrong with us? And sometimes I envy you, the precious people of God. You're so sweet and sincere and you helped me so many times because sometimes I'll come into a service here and I just get off the phone or off an email with somebody and we're trying to negotiate some crazy, horrible situation. Some of the greatest men and women of God that I know who walk on this planet, they are opposed, they are maligned, they are criticized, they've been hurt, they've got enemies. It shocks me. And sometimes I have to deal with it and I am ready to throw that phone somewhere and I walk into the sanctuary of the Lord and the precious, beautiful saints of God who don't know any of that garbage. I hope that you think every minister of the gospel is a hero and every missionary needs to have a statue built in their honor and I hope you think all of that. The precious people of God just walk in And they just start to worship. There's healing in that. I have prayed and I have talked to younger ministers. They say in pastoral leadership that one of the sayings is vision leaks. You got to keep telling people about the vision because vision leaks. And I think the thing that leaks far worse than vision is innocence. 
innocence leaks. It, it seeps out. You got to get in prayer and you got to get in the word and you got to get your attitude and your heart right because when you know all the garbage and all the seamy underbelly of everything, it, it's disillusioning sometimes. And that's what Solomon said. He that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. And it's not part of the message, but I was reading it this week because it's the first week of January. And I was reading about Adam and Eve and that crazy tree. And they were warned, don't eat of the tree. Don't eat of that tree. The tree of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Could you stop trying to figure out and to investigate and to check out evil? The worst thing about the internet is that it's all right there. It's accessible and it's anonymous. And the devil will whisper, well, you just should know. I mean, it's going on in the world and you don't need to know. That was what started this all. Somebody getting too much knowledge of the good and evil. And Solomon said, he that increaseth knowledge, you only increase your sorrow. Sorry for the detour. Let's head back. Sometimes your experience robs you of your innocence. Sometimes the more you know in life, the more you hurt. Sometimes you know things about family members and friends. You know stuff about saints of God in this church or another church. And it just kind of hurts your heart. And the reason it does is because you've increased knowledge. If you never knew, you could just pray and have joy and it would be fine. Solomon continues, he said, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. He's trying to turn it around because he feels so depressed and he feels so awful and he see, feels so rotten. He said, Here, here's what I tried to do to fix it. Here's what I tried to do to fill my heart. Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I tried pleasure. It's empty. It's smoke. It's vapor. I said of laughter, I tried that too. It is mad. And I said of mirth, what do with it? What does it accomplish? I sought in mine heart to give, what's this? To give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. I tried to have the best of both worlds. And to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of man. I went on an excursion to investigate how they were having fun in the world. What they would do under the heaven all the days of their life. Solomon tried every selfish pleasure. And he tried every kind of frivolous fun that he could think of. But it all came up empty. And he concluded this is senseless and pointless. And unfortunately, like so many people, he said, I gave myself unto wine. Like so many people, his pleasure-seeking eventually moved him into addictive behaviors. It was all in an attempt to escape the boredom of his life. Little acrostic I've given to a lot of people. Halt. Somebody say halt. Somebody shout halt. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired, you be very careful. Because that's temptation zone. Somebody shout halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And that was Solomon. His pleasure seeking just moved him ever closer to addictive behaviors. He gave himself to wine. He gave himself to foolishness, to folly, all in an attempt to escape that he was just bored. And like any addict, he learned that the enjoyment of the experience, it continually decreases unless the intensity of the pleasure constantly increases. Let me run that by you again. Like any addict, he learned that the enjoyment of an experience, it continually decreases unless the intensity of the pleasure constantly increases. That's how people get addicted to horrible drugs. And that's how people get addicted to perverse pornography. That's how, because they have to keep ratcheting up the intensity of that 
pleasure or the experience diminishes for them. And finally, there's no enjoyment left at all. Only bondage and emptiness. And Solomon would say, Hevel, smoke, vapor, fog. There's nothing there. You think it's going to fulfill you, but you go to take hold of it and it's gone. It vanishes. It's a trick of the enemy. We have more entertainment options available today and we also have much more danger of developing addictive behaviors than ever before. But let me preach to you the first Wednesday night of this year. There is no need for anybody in this church to repeat Solomon's stupid experiments. It's all just hevel. If we'll accept the word of God, it will protect us. It'll put a shield about us. It will guide our feet. Woo. It's my favorite verse in Psalm 119. I'm sure I've mentioned it here before. Order my steps in your word. I prayed that so many times. Order my steps in your word. But there's another half to that verse. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. See, if you walk in the word... You have a defense against sin and you have a defense against iniquity and you have a defense against temptation and you have a defense against hell and you have a defense against the evil one. But if you don't walk in the word, you're free game for the devil to pick off in a moment of temptation. My, my. Would you lift up your hand and just pray for a second? We'll, we'll continue. I'm not off track. I'm right on track. But the Holy Ghost is just kind of settling in here because this is really important, especially at the beginning of a year when you're making all those little promises and commitments to God and, and you're making those little vows to yourself. It's especially important at this time of year. Thank you for lifting your hands. Would you lift your voice and just pray for a minute? Thank you, Jesus. Huh. Oh my, order my steps in your word. Order my steps in your word, Jesus. Order my steps in your word. Oh my goodness. I have no idea why, I just know what. We need to pray in the Spirit for a moment or two. So would you just lift up your voice? If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, just pray in the Holy Ghost. I don't know why, I just know what we're supposed to do. I don't know why. It may be that somebody's in the battle of your life. It may be that somebody is despondent or discouraged. I don't know why. I just know what we're supposed to do. Be a wall of fire around your people, O God. Rebuke the devourer for their sake. God, turn up the intensity in our spirit. Turn up the intensity in our prayer for this new year, God. We want it. Direct us, lead us, and order our steps in your word. I'm not even going to give a disclaimer or an apology. I need some 
watchmen on the wall. I, I need some people to just stand and lift your hands and just go to prayer. I'm not even looking for everybody, just somebody. I, I just want you to stand up like a sentry, like a sentinel, like a guard, like a watchman on the wall and just pray. Pray over our pastor. Pray over our church. Pray over our staff. Pray over the precious people of God. Pray over 2023. <laughs> Oh my, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. At the Rebo Shesa, a Rebo Cleanse me, O God. Search me, O God. Wash me, O Jesus. Oh, I thank you, God. Oh, I thank you, God. Oh, I thank you, God. Who? Search my heart and make me clean. It's your approval I long for, Jesus. My goodness. That's what I covet for our services this year, that we can just flow in and out of prayer as pastor leads us and, and we, we can just move in and out of those moves of the spirit. That's so important. So important. Go ahead and be seated if you want. Just say thank you to the Lord, however you do it. Just say thank you to him. Just say thank you to him. It's an honor when the king shows up in a service. Oh, I worship you, God. I worship you, God. In the next few verses, chapter 2, verse 4 through 9, thereabouts, Solomon continues his impressive resume. He said, I, I, I did great works. He's not bragging. He's just giving us the facts. I built magnificent houses. I created beautiful vineyards and gardens and orchards and pools. And I had more servants and possessions and livestock and silver and gold and imported treasures from all kinds of countries than you could ever imagine. My court enjoyed the most wonderful entertainment from singers and musicians that the world could produce. And I became the greatest, most powerful king that Israel had ever known. The list that he gives there is meant to impress us with the uniqueness of Solomon's reign. But what is remarkable when you read it in our century is how many of the luxuries that made his life exceptional back then are basic expectations of average middle-class life now. It's amazing. We're very blessed. And we could add to our list a host of opportunities that Solomon could never have imagined, even though he was the greatest, wisest, wealthiest king who had ever reigned. We've got air conditioning and refrigeration We've got indoor cooking and indoor plumbing. We've got automobile and airplane travel, amusement parks and tourist destinations, smartphones and the internet. We have access to advanced medical care, not just life-saving treatment, but we now have drugs to eliminate discomforts and conditions that previous generations, they simply had to endure that until they died. Yes, Solomon had private singers and musicians for entertainment, but we have unlimited options today. We enjoy a quality of life that would have been unimaginable for even the wealthiest people even just two centuries ago. But with all this progress and privilege, here's Solomon's point. We still haven't found fulfillment. We are nothing like Solomon, and yet... We are exactly like Solomon. Here's what Solomon said. 
Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. He just changed gears. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, he's not seeking pleasure now. He's not into addictive behaviors now. He's given himself to work, 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 build, build, progress, progress, project, project. And he said, I looked on all my work and on the labor that my hands had wrought, the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, even that was Hevel. It was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. I just tried everything. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? What's my successor going to do? Even that which hath already been done. He's going to be just like me. He's going to be looking for fulfillment and meaning and significance. Solomon not only tried enjoyment, he also tried employment to fill the void in his heart. So Solomon admits, he confesses, I literally became a workaholic, a compulsive overachiever who tried to escape his emptiness by filling up his calendar and his to-do list. The results were impressive as we've already seen. But as each massive project was completed, Solomon observed, but there was no profit under the sun. No personal gain, just business gain. No meaningful advantage or value. No sense of success or satisfaction in my heart. And as Solomon looked back on the days and the weeks and the months and the years of labor, he felt nothing except futility. Because whoever came after him was just going to do it all over again. That sense of futility sounds familiar, doesn't it? How many times have we thought to ourselves, this is pointless. I'm trying so hard here. And others are just goofing off and taking it easy. I'm living right, Jesus, while other people are doing wrong. I'm keeping your commandments. It seems like everybody else just gets away with doing whatever they want. And it doesn't seem to make any difference, God, that I'm trying so hard and living so right and obeying so much. It doesn't seem to make any difference. It's hevel, it's, it's clouds, smoke, fog. I don't see it clearly. Solomon said, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as Light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head. That's a pretty obvious statement, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but it's a Hebrew image. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool doesn't have eyes to see. He walks in darkness. And I myself, this is very important, I myself perceived also that one event, somebody say one event, one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me, the king, the wisest, wealthiest man who ever lived. And why was I then more wise? Why did I bother being wise if one event happens to everybody? Then I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For there is no remembrance. Here's what's really getting a hold of him. Here's what's really bothering him. It's eating him alive. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? Well, he dies exactly the same as the fool dies. Now, when Solomon was honest with himself and when he used his head, he had to admit that living wisely was far superior to living foolishly. And yet he knew that one event, somebody say one event, one event happened to everyone. It happened to the wise, it happened to the fool, it even happened to the king. And here's the one event that gets us all. Everyone dies. Both the fool and the wise man die. And eventually, I know it lasts a little longer in your precious family that you remember your loved ones just the same as it does in our family. I know that. But eventually, both the wise and the foolish are forgotten. Death 
is the end of the road and death is the great equalizer. And so Solomon says, and he's, he's frustrated and he's sad and he's disillusioned and he's old and he's got a lot of living under his belt and he's looking back like we sometimes do as we enter the beginning of a new year and we look back over the year and we think, we might not verbalize it, but we think, I sure needed to do better there and I, I sure needed to make a better decision there. And that's what Solomon's doing here. When he was honest with himself, he'd, he'd admit living wisely was far superior to living foolishly, and yet that one event, death, it just happens to everybody. What's the point of wisdom if we all end up dead anyway? That's how depressed he is. That's how disillusioned he is. That's how discouraged he is. And then he admits it. Therefore, I hated life. I have a clarity in the Holy Ghost tonight. Somebody in here, you have said those words. I hate my life. Solomon said it. He said, I hated my life because the, word, the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For it's all just vanity and vexation of spirit. It's hevel, it's smoke and vapor and cloud and fog. It's meaningless. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun. And here's why I hated it. Here's why I despised what I had accomplished. Because I should leave it unto the man that shall come after me. And who knows whether the man that comes after me will be wise or a fool. But regardless, he will have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. Solomon said, I don't know who's going to come after me. I don't know who's going to sit on the throne. In the Old Testament, they often killed king's children when there was a change in rulership or the king died. It was He knew it wasn't a certain thing. And he said, I don't know who's going to sit on my throne and rule my kingdom after me. I don't know whether he's going to be wise or whether he's going to be a fool. I don't know whether he's going to save it up or squander it all. I don't know. And this is also vanity. Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. If it's all going to end at the grave and if I can't tell what's coming after and if I don't even know if it's going to matter, then I hate my life, the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived. When Solomon considered all of this, he hated his life and he hated his work and he hated being king and he hated himself most of all. You know why? Because death was going to end it all and death was going to pass all of his efforts to somebody else. And that somebody else might be wise and build on his accomplishments or they might be a fool and squander everything that he had worked so hard to achieve and he could do nothing to stop it. Hevel, smoke, vapor, vanity, temporary. And I'll spare you because Solomon gets a little repetitious here over the next few verses because he's so agitated. But finally... In the midst of his depression and discouragement and despondency, he finally comes to this conclusion. And it is our conclusion for tonight. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy. Somebody say, make his soul. Don't leave it to choice or chance. You make your soul enjoy good in your labor. This also I saw. In the midst of all the hevel, the, the smoke, the vapor, the cloud, the fog, everything I don't like and everything I hate and everything I can't see clearly and everything that's temporary and everything that I tried to depend on but it didn't come through for me. But in the midst of all that, I did see one thing. And I said, that is from the hand of of God. Here's the bottom line from the wisest man who ever lived. Since you cannot control your life, you can't. 
one text message, one phone call from your doctor's office, one automobile accident can change your life forever. You can't control your life. So since you can't control your life, you should stop trying to control your life. Learn to hold on to the things you have and the gifts you've been given. Learn to hold those things with an open hand because brothers and sisters, dear friends and saints of God, you really have control over only one thing. Not 10 things, not 100 things. You really have control over only one thing. And that's your attitude toward this present moment. It is not by accident that the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Because you have to make a choice. And you don't control tomorrow. You wish you could. You cannot. It's vapor. It's heaven. It's smoke. It's fog. It could vanish in a heartbeat. It could vanish in your next breath. You don't control that. But you do control this. They sang it on Sunday. It just about wiped me out. As long as I have breath, Lord, I promise this. My goodness. I've got breath right now. I have no assurance of tomorrow. I don't even have assurance of later this evening. But I have breath right now. And so I do control this moment. I control what I choose, what I decide, how I love and serve, how I honor God, how I obey his word. I don't control tomorrow, but I control this moment. Stop making resolutions for a whole year. What a waste of time that is. You won't even remember them in February. Start making resolutions for this moment. It's church time. I'm in the sanctuary. The presence of the Lord is here. The word is being preached. The songs are being sung. The prayers are being lifted. I choose in this moment that I'm going to matter with my one and only life. Whew. You really have control over only one thing and it's your attitude toward this present moment. So, brothers and sisters and saints of God and dear friends, stop worrying. What a waste that is. Stop complaining. And since you can't control it, make a choice. Choose to enjoy your life. Choose to enjoy the simple things in your life, your family and your friends and your job and your house and your church and your relationship with God. This year, instead of striving so hard and getting so discouraged with yourself, take a walk, take a break, take a breath, read the word, Say a prayer. Enjoy the life that God has given you. It's the only one you have. We've said goodbye to too many faithful saints, beautiful people, dear friends, not to get this. We don't remember the minutes of their life. Even their own families don't remember all the details of all the minutes. We don't remember minutes. We remember moments. We remember moments when their life intersected our life and their love intersected our love. And that's what we remember. We don't control tomorrow. We don't control the rest of this year. I thank God for pastor and making plans and all of that, but we don't know. But here's what we do know. I have one moment now. I have one moment today. I have one moment, and it's this moment. So with everything I have, I am going to thank God for what he has given me. I don't have everything I want. I've got a long, 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 long list. 
I'm not even sure I have everything I need some days. I look at myself in the mirror and I think, oh my goodness, that's all God's got to work with in this life. But you know what? It's my life. And Jesus gave me life. And he saved my life. And he's given me eternal life. And I'm just foolish enough to be grateful enough to enjoy this moment. Today. Right now. One moment at a time. One step at a time. One choice at a time. One prayer at a time. I'm going to make it one moment at a time. I am done. I wish you'd stand to your feet like a big choir. Lift up your hands and let's pray over what we've heard from the word of God. I know we've dug deep and it's kind of a weird little book, but it's the word and you felt it tonight. The Holy Ghost walked in here tonight. Make a choice in this moment to lift up your voice. Make a choice in this moment to pray intently and intensely in this moment.